The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Um, is my microphone on now? Okay, we're good. Um, welcome to King's Cross. My name is Jacob. I uh, am one of the pastors here, and we gather around this basic idea of loving Jesus together. We're really grateful that you would give your Sunday morning to be with us. And uh, here as we meet, at how many days are left in spring? Like 10? <laughs> Something. We're just holding out hope. This next week, we've unfortunately got more snow, but um, we gather here uh, together. <laughs> Sorry, unfortunately for some of you. Some it, of us are excited. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I can only speak for myself. <laughs> um, what, uh, we gather around this basic idea of loving Jesus together, and we do that here on Sunday mornings where we um, sing and hear God's word and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you, uh, these are our elements that we use for right now. They're out there by the front door. Um, and then through the week, we meet in small groups. We call them missional communities, and those meet on Tuesday nights and Wednesday night, and um, those are uh, very free form. Uh, they generally meet around talking about the sermon or the passage from this week, talk about each other's lives. We pray for each other. It's very simple, straightforward. Uh, two of those are on Tuesday nights, one on Wednesday night, and the Wednesday night one is, where does that meet at? On the west side, I think? Uh, Mike Glein's house. Mike Glein's house. So it's over here. Anyhow, if you want to talk, Dave Hamilton here in the back, he just he yelled out. If you want to meet with them, they're, they're over there. Um, we do have a teen group. Um, they met this last week. They will meet next week. That's every other week, generally, uh, basically twice a month uh, for our teens so that they can grow as disciples in Jesus. Um, for one of the ways that we worship God is through our giving, and so if you'd like to give, you can do that online. It's all through uh, the website. Uh, we don't do boxes here. We don't pass or anything like that, uh, pass plates or anything. If you are a guest here, we're really grateful that you're here with us. We don't want you to feel any sense of obligation, like you have to pay us for the service or anything like that, um, or pay God off. Um, we're just grateful that you're here. Um, if you are a guest with us, we have books up front. Um, those kind of capture some of the heart of who we are as a church, and we'd love for you to take those. Those are free, um, and those are for you to take. Um, one quick announcement, and then we will turn to God's Word together. Um, this coming, uh, at the end of the month, we are hosting a uh, trauma-informed training seminar our workshop with the YWCA. Um, this helps equip us to better understand how trauma affects each of us, what it looks like, um, how it presents in each other's lives, um, and then how to specifically respond to and care for each other um, who have experienced trauma or our neighbors. So this is uh, for the church, but if you have people in your life that you think would benefit from it or you would like to bring somebody to it, like I've been inviting folks from the staff here at the Hope Center, um, that, that's not like exclusive, so we'd love for you to be there. Um, the only thing that we do ask is that, um, let's see, when do we need to know by? This, this next week? March 16th? Is that this next week? This is next week. So this week, I need to know if you're coming because we are uh, getting a Chipotle order for everybody, and so um, I need to know what you'd like, restriction, dietary restrictions, that type of thing. 
The uh, event will be on March 25th, 11.30 to 2 p.m., and that'll be at the YWCA Center. So if you know where um, Manchester, downtown Manchester, that's the Victory Parking Garage. It's immediately across from that. So um, I'd love for you to be there. I will be there. Um, I'm, I know other people are looking forward to it. So if you have any questions, you can ask me about that. Um, Heather, could you just raise your hand? If it, so you can talk to Heather as well. She's been spearheading getting this going. So that being said, we're going to turn to the book of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, all the verses will be up front. Please don't worry about that. Um, but we are preaching through the book of Luke. And we are in the middle end of Jesus, what we would call the Sermon on the Plain, kind of his Sermon on the Mount. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read for us, starting at um, verse 36. And then, um, actually, I'm going to start in verse 35, and then I will read for us down to verse 42, and then we'll start looking at this together. Uh, before I get going, sorry, um, if you do have questions through the sermon or anything like that, you can text those up front. Those go to me here, and uh, we will uh, we do Q&A after the sermon. So Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 35, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take, out, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. Father, as we look at this this morning and consider what Jesus has for us. Would you shape us to be people who are gracious? Last week we prayed for being uncalculating, and this week we pray that you would help us to be uncondemning. And as we study these words of Jesus, would his heart shape our own? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm sure that this is a very familiar passage in one way or the other, kind of the log in your own eye, speck in the other eye, don't judge, that type of language. It brought up in my mind um, a research study that I'd seen um, come out from the Episcopal Church of America. They'd, uh, they'd asked for uh, a statistic research to be done, and um, the organization that did it for them, uh, they... They looked at, let's see, the number that they looked at is 3,119 participants. So it's a fairly decent-sized group. I mean, it's not, you know, the entire American population. But this just, one of the numbers that stuck out to me was the way Christians perceive themselves versus how non-Christians perceive themselves. And I thought this passage came to mind because Christians see themselves predominantly within this, this uh, sample set as giving, compassionate, loving, and respectful, friendly, and honest, and then 
um, kind of go to the other side of this data, this data set. Uh, Non-religious people see Christians as hypocritical, judgment, judgmental, self-righteous, and arrogant. Self-righteous, judgmental, and hypocritical was over 50% of how they associated non-Christians non viewed Christians. Now, the interesting thing about this is just as it, it, it gives you kind of some objective data points to consider how do people view each other. Um, we can put that down. It, it's interesting data. I can send it out for you if you're interested. But the reason I bring that up is because this passage engages with this whole idea of how do people experience you? And how do people understand you as somebody who belongs to God? Now, this data set that I'm bringing up is not what I would associate with our church or anybody in here. Like, I wouldn't look at anybody in here and say, ah, you know, kind of a judgmental person, so they need to hear the sermon, that type of thing. I'm just bringing up as an objective sense of how our non-Christian neighbors experience Christians. I experience this all the time. You know, I hang out downtown and um, various places, and when people find out that I'm a pastor, they, you can kind of tell, like, they want to say, like, oh, I'm sorry for all the cuss words I just said to you. <laughs> <laughs> because clearly that's the most important thing that I care about. Then they start uh, talking about their experience with religion and how they've experienced, you know, being kicked out of churches or they weren't good enough for this church or whatever. And there I am. Typically it's at Castro's, and I'm just kind of like, bro, I'm just, I'm here to smoke a cigar. I'm glad to be here for you, though. But it's, it, it, it validates some of this, this data that we're talking about that what Jesus talks about here and what our neighbors experience, there's some type of disconnect. And so as we look at this this morning... We want to consider, how do we become like what Jesus is talking about here? Um, last week, we talked about how verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful, was kind of the center point of these two sections of uncalculating mercy. We talked about what does it mean to be somebody that is like God, and it not all-powerful, all-knowing, all that stuff. It actually, in Jesus' framing, is to be, last week we talked about uncalculating in our mercy. This week, Jesus goes after our hearts again and says, to be like God or to be shaped like God, to be a child of God, is to have uncondemning grace towards other people. This is because in the, in the heart of all of this stands Jesus, who has been the expression of God's uncondemning grace to us. And so Jesus calls us to be disciples who are like God in how we treat other people. So what I want us to see here in the middle, this main point of the sermon, and then we're going to kind of unpack this in three sections as usual, is that the main point here is encountering Jesus' grace shapes you to give grace like God. That's how we become children of God. That's how we become like God. And what we're going to be talking about is basically how do we encounter Jesus' grace? We're going to talk about how we are trained by grace, how we're shaped by grace, and then we're participating in grace. That's basically how we encounter Jesus' grace. And we're going to kind of keep orbiting, orbiting around this main idea that encountering Jesus' grace shapes you to give grace like God. So I want to jump down to verse 39, and we're going to start unpacking this trained by grace. Here we have Jesus start out, he, is also, he also told them a parable. Let me read these two verses for us, and we'll, we'll start giving some thoughts on them. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. 
What's fascinating here is that when Jesus says, um, he says, I want to tell you a parable, what follows is not like what we would typically think of as a parable. Like when we think of a parable, we think of, you know, a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. A man had two sons. One of them, you know, was a partier. He spent all his dad's money. He ate Luke 15 type stuff, right? He went away. The older brother was mad. There's characters. There's plot development. Jesus' parable is, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? So what I think Jesus is doing here is he's, he's saying a proverbial statement. It's not strictly a parable, but it's to get after this main idea of who will you follow? Up to this point, we've been talking about how the Pharisees have been trying to call people to follow God by extreme religious attention to detail. When do you worship? Where do you worship? What do you wear to worship? What do you do when you worship? You don't walk through a field and pick up food. You, you stay at home. You worship on a Saturday. You worship at the temple in Jerusalem. They get very focused on the details and have lost the big picture that all those things exist because God graciously loves people that do not deserve it or have earned it. And Jesus comes in and says, basically, are you going to follow blind people, this parable, the, the, the Pharisees, who don't know what they're doing, or are you going to be, follow me, God's expression and embodiment of grace? So who will you follow? What is it like then, verse 40, to be trained like Jesus? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, is this a promise that basically says like, hey, come to King's Cross, man. You're going to be walking on water, going to be turning water into wine. We're going to be doing some pretty sweet miracles. Like, <laughs> is that what that's, this means? Because unfortunately, if that's the case, then everybody in the history of the church has failed, as far as I'm aware. I'm sure there's some people who've done some miracle, some miraculous things, but you get what I'm saying, right? I think here in the heart of this is, as we walk through Luke thus far, and as we continue to go through Luke, we see people that experience and express grace in surprising ways. Jesus has been talking about outsiders and insiders. And the outsiders to the rest of the gospel, we're going to see some of these in Luke 7, the woman of the city, right? Some, a woman who's a prostitute, some way not what you would associate as God's inside crowd. She is the one who comes and responds in absolute adoration for Jesus, and he blesses her. We have Zacchaeus, right? He is a tax collector and a betrayer of his entire people, who then Jesus responds to and says, I want you to be in my family. And what does he do? He throws a whole big party for Jesus with money that he's stolen from other people and then gives a bunch of his money back to people. And then we find um, the thief next to Jesus on the cross, right? He's the definition of an outsider, somebody who is paying the penalty for what he's done. And here Jesus says, you are an insider now because of your faith in me. You will be in my kingdom. The consistency between all of those stories is that they were all people who did not deserve grace, who saw something in Jesus where they responded to him and wanted that grace. The reality is that they didn't want things from Jesus. They wanted Jesus himself. They wanted to be next to, near, with Jesus. So when he says there in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, right? Disciples don't look to Jesus as like, how can I one-up 
Disciples look, everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. We want to be like Jesus, not because we want to do miracles or anything like that, but because Jesus is the embodiment of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God himself, and we want this gracious person. The effect is that we end up looking like him. See, uh, ultimately, we, I feel like when we talk about identity language, we can kind of get lost in the weeds or kind of lose perspective of what we're talking about. But Jesus is going after your identity here. Your identity, ultimately, if you are trained by Jesus, is to be one of grace. I want to put up here on the screen here, Philippians 3. Here we have the Apostle Paul, who has had this training, and we, he talks through... I don't want to get lost in the details of this, but I want you to hear he has encountered Jesus and being trained by Jesus as we read through these verses has caused him to grab onto one thing and let go of a bunch of other things. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, right? His resume is pretty, pretty dope. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more confidence circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of, this is the one thing, of Christ. Indeed, I could count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Next slide there. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, the faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him. Here again is our phrasing from, Matt, from Luke becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may poss possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, like being come, the point here is not to say everybody in here needs to become like Paul and die right now. The point being, Paul has seen in Jesus God's goodness and grace when he himself thought he had all the, all the accoutrements all the swag, all the deals of being the ultimate insider, he realized he was ultimately an outsider in need of God's goodness to make him a part of God's family. Right? Paul had all the religious mumbo-jumbo that you could have, and yet he still recognized Jesus himself is who I need. Not, I go to church on Sunday, I go to small group, I, I wear the right clothes, I vote the right way, all these things. Paul recognizes he needs Jesus. And so, the call for Jesus and us in this is a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher, is to ask the basic question. When things don't go your way, does your heart lean towards Jesus or against him? Do you blame him? Do you ignore him? Or do you lean into him? Because nothing's going to go our way. Like, there's just a number of things. I mean, I just think about the lives of our folks in the last week. I mean, just things get messy and terrible, and nothing goes right, and it seems like things always go wrong. And the heart of faith is not that we get the answers, but that we're trained 
to lean towards Jesus. When life throws you curveballs, where do you lean? You see, Jesus comes to us in a world full of broken people and brokenness and offers not a program, not an institution. He offers himself. I think that's at the heart of who we want to be as Christians, is we, we want Jesus. All right. So in the midst of that training, let's talk about what it means to be shaped. Verse 37 to 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Last week, we talked about the giving dynamic of this, right? But I want you to hear these as we kind of think through them, right? Judge not, and you will not be judged, right? Those who have experienced grace ultimately are shaped to give it. So what Jesus is talking about here is that each of us in our experience of life, how many of us can look at our own lives and think, I... I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve condemnation. I don't deserve what I've been given. And then just kind of like, you know what, but I got it anyways. Good luck. Thanks. Really, I think what Jesus is going after here is that what you give reflects how you've received what you have. Last, um, in our small group this last week, um, Lori used this illustration. I think it's from a Buddhist, is it from a Buddhist proverb? The, the dust you throw is, comes back on you. It's, such a, it's, an, it's a provocative image, right? When you throw out dust, some of it flows back on you. And the heart of this is we are people that have received non-judgment from God in the midst of deserving judgment. We are people who have received no condemnation when we deserve it. We are people that have received forgiveness when we did not deserve it. We are people in Jesus who have been given the entire world and the resurrection of the life to come, and yet we are people that were defined by death through and through. See, the, while the word grace is not used here, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over certainly is, is a picture of grace and how it has been given to you. And Jesus is calling us and saying, look, if you have been shaped by grace, if you've been given grace, it will shape you in how you view other people. I, I think this is a part of why, um, well, let me back up a second. Am I, is everybody tracking with what we're saying here? I feel like I'm getting a little lost in the weeds here. This is a part of why we have our worship services designed the way we do. It kind of, because what it means to be shaped, it means to have something regularly that we engage with, that, it, that we experience, that helps remind us of who he is. I mean, when you see, when you see Jesus use words like, judge not, 
condemn not, forgive not, or forgive and give. He's talking about day in and day out stuff. I mean, honestly, like who on their way here was judging other people who, for the way they were driving, walking, the way their yards looked, anything like that. Like, I'm just thinking of all the things, that, all the ways in which we experience life. We experience judging, condemning. We are given opportunities for forgiving and giving on a daily basis. And on a weekly basis, we have the opportunity to be reshaped in God's story rather than the ways in which we are constantly reshaped by our, I mean, our own prejudices or whatever they are. And so our worship services are designed, to kind of get back to that, that point, our worship services are designed so that we experience the story of God's grace to us within the hour and 15 minutes that we're here or whatever. We are called graciously into God's presence. We, we don't come here and like get God's attention like God here in the corner of Valley and Wilson at Hope Center in the old Hoyt Furniture Building. We want you to come here because we have given you enough money this week to come. God is the one who puts it in us to come together as a congregation, pulls us together as a church, gifts us as people to be able to lead us in singing, to be able to speak in front of others, to be able to experience his kindness together. So we're called into his presence by God's word, and we respond and singing about who he is. I mean, Drew did a great job of leading us in three songs this morning, celebrating all of who God is, right? God, you're good to us. You're kind to us, right? Then we respond and we hear God's word again. God, teach us again who we are, right? Stephen did a great job this morning of leading us and hearing God's word together. And then we respond in praying. God, this is the type of God that you are, so we're going to respond to you. You notice that in none of these things, not only are they free, but every one of them assumes that God not only hears us, but wants us to do these things. He's the one who gave us the idea, not me personally, but in the Bible, to respond to him. So we come to him. We pray, and then we hear about, when we do announcements, like that's not just kind of like a perfunctory thing because we're an organization. It's a moment to say, okay, this is God's activity among us. You can give financially to join God's gracious work through the church. You can be a part of small groups, whereas we're more intimate experience of grace. There's other parts about, when we do like announcements like with the YWCA, that's an expression of God's grace to us to be shaped in a specific way to care for our neighbors. That's a part of the mission of God and his grace in our city. And then we hear from God's word like we're doing right now, being shaped graciously by his word. I hope that my sermons help us to experience grace together. And then we respond to that. Like we engage, okay, God, I had questions. Engaging, thinking through, that's a way of God, again, actively a part of shaping our minds to think and feel and live within grace. And then it's not like the capstone to kind of like, well, like we're Christians. We, we take the Lord's Supper, which is a picture, a reminder, a re-invitation to the night when Jesus was betrayed. And his body was about to be broken for us so that all, of, all the power of Satan, all the power of sin, all the power of death would be overturned in the divine irony of his own death and his own blood being shed for us, so that when we take this, we not only remember what he's done for us, but we express our hope for what he's going to do. He is going to make this place shot through all the way with resurrection grace 
so that everything is made new again. Colors will be different. They'll be, I mean, I don't even understand how colors can be different, but they're going to be different in a way that we experience them with resurrection eyes. We're going to hear resurrection sounds. All of that stuff because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so when we take this little cup and bread, it's reminding us, Fox News, CNN, NPR, whoever it is you get your news from, your podcast, Joe Rogan, all those guys, they don't have the beat on the big story of the world. This little cup tells us what God has done and what he will do. And then we sing in response to God's grace, and our hearts are shaped again. And we hang out, and you guys take forever, and I have to, like, you know, we all go home. But that, this whole experience this morning is crafted so that we experience grace, and we're shaped by it. We're shaped by a story that is not our own, that comes to us and saves us and renews us in Jesus. Okay, can I, one thing, we, one of the songs that we sang this morning, can I throw up the call out to purity? Because here is, I think, a capture. This is a thousand-year-old prayer. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. So you're talking about people who deserve judgment, people who deserve condemnation. God sees it all. This is the, the prayer that the church has been praying for over a thousand years. Cleanse our thoughts, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may be perfected, perfectly love thee, and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's what this song that what Jesus is talking about here in this. People who have been shaped by grace know that they can say before God, here you know all that I am. And they also know from God's word. God sees it and wants to renew us in Jesus. We sang, this is, a part, this is the, the framing of the song that, that Drew led us through earlier. We respond to grace because we've been shaped by grace. I have more thoughts here, but I'm going to move on. We're going to talk, finish talking through here, verse 41 to 42. If we are people who have been trained by grace and shaped by grace, Jesus does land the plane here and say, you got to practice in grace, right? Not just kind of theoretical. So here, verse 41 and 42, practicing grace together. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out, take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly and take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So this is, I feel like this is a fairly like familiar picture of the log in your own eye, the speck in your brother's eye. Like I feel like even my non-Christian friends are familiar with this kind of framing of like, uh, you've got big issues, they've got small issues, why are you making a big deal out of their small issues when you've still got your own stuff going on? Like that, that's the basic idea. It's interesting because Jesus uses this word hypocrite here. And um, in the ancient world, this would have had a slightly different phrase, a kind of nuance to it. When we think about it today, like if you said, Jacob, you're a hypocrite, basically you're saying uh, you pretend to stand for things but don't actually believe in them, right? And when we say hypocrite about somebody, like they, they, they say that they, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of illustrations, and they're all political, and I don't... <laughs> That's going to be bad news. But you guys know what I mean, right? Like, 
In the ancient world, um, a hypocrite had a little bit of a different use of it. Actors were called hypocrites. That's not because they were bad people. Like, we think a hypocrite today, we think immediately a bad person, right? Or somebody who's got bad motives. When they used hypocrite in the ancient world, what they meant is that you were pretending to be something that you're not. Now, that ends up having a negative connotation, but actors were called hypocrites because they were portraying a character that wasn't actually them, right? I think of a, um, a phrase that I've learned to kind of capture this today would be cosplay Christians. Do you know what cosplay is? Like when you dress up as action character, like comic book characters, and you go to comic book conventions, and you are dressed up as a character that you're not actually a cosplay. Does that mean, I feel like I've got friends who do cosplay. Like, okay, you know what I mean? The idea here is a cosplay Christian, somebody that pretends and talks boisterously about grace and what the Bible says, but ultimately at the end of the day, they lack any grace, any nuance, any sense of Jesus about who they are and how they engage other people. They can talk very strongly about what the Bible says and blah, 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 but at the end of the day, they are extremely ungracious people. They're not practicing the grace that they have received. Jesus calls us in this passage to practice grace. Now, you notice he doesn't say, first take out the log in your own eye and let your brother take care of the speck in his own eye. He's not saying don't engage with other people, like don't be so non-judgmental that you just don't engage with anybody, just kind of hands up, like, look, I'm just going to kind of keep focused on my own deal. He's emphasizing, bro, you have got your own deal that God is addressing you on, this whole log out of your own, <laughs> just, the idea of a log in your own eye, it's, just, it's so incredible to me. But you've got this whole thing going on here. Jesus is calling you to engage with and address that. But as you learn how to engage with and address the law in your own eye, you are trained and shaped by that grace to be able to care for and help other people in the family of faith to engage with their own issues, right? First, take out the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Right? We're still guided towards caring for other people. The emphasis being, are you addressing your own stuff before you start making a big deal about other people's stuff? Because it's easy to kind of get into managing other people. See, I think ultimately this is that training and shaping, we experience like, gosh, man, I just do not have my act together. And God has been so good to me in how I get to experience life every day, his mercy every morning, to have an opportunity to respond with repentance and faith in whatever the area is, and then to be able to respond to other people with grace. I think this is similar... I, I feel like when we talk about this, we all kind of have a sense of the type of person that we'd like to be and how we care for other people. Is somebody who's understanding, gracious, guiding towards them, rather than caustic, confrontational, and kind of condemning, right? As we practice this, I'm not sure that I... I struggle with these sermons mainly because as I'm saying them, I'm thinking through all the ways in which I have uh, failed is maybe too strong a word, <laughs> but not lived up to these dynamics in my life with other people. I often find myself being condemning, judgmental, 
my own family and I think my closest friends can experience that. And I think in the midst of this, the encouragement is that we are not seeking to earn non-condemning grace. We're not seeking to earn forgiveness from verse 37. We're not seeking to earn non-judgment from God. We receive them because of who he is and who stands in the middle of this passage. Let's not lose sight of the fact that these words are in fact Jesus saying them to people that he is looking on and saying, I want you to be in my family and this is what it means to be a member of the household of faith. I want to put up here Hebrews 10 and then we will close with this. This is Hebrews 10. And the writer says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, thinking about the pattern of this passage, people who have received non-judgment from God because it was placed on Jesus, people who have not been condemned because Jesus was condemned in their place, by the new and living way that was opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to a tr- with a true heart of, and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, that he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I can't help but feel like the, the book of Hebrews specifically is shaped by the gospel of Luke because here we have the same idea of God has given you grace, he has shaped you by grace, and he invites you to practice grace with other people. And the grace that we practice with other people is stirring each other up. So I'm not sure what your experience of this last week has been. Some of you I'm aware of. I'm not sure what your experience of Jesus this morning is. But what would it look like for us, even as we end now and move towards communion, to respond with praying for grace together? Is there something that God would stir in your heart to pray for? It could be personally, so like if nobody comes to the mic, not a failure, it's okay. Maybe a prophetic word or a congregational prayer just to say, like, man, God, we want more of Jesus. Because here at the heart of this passage is Jesus himself who has given us grace, who has been tender and compassionate in how we experience him, and he invites us to participate in giving that grace to other people. Let's pray. God, as we've looked at this passage and considered how you are working in us and through us through Jesus, I pray that most importantly that we would experience grace. Grace that doesn't give us what we deserve, grace that doesn't give us what we've earned, but rather it gives us everything that we need in Jesus because of who he is. So would we experience more of Jesus this morning? And would you continue to empower us by your spirit to give his grace to others? To Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.